We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Lindsay Rhodes and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes, and we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And about 45 minutes before we started recording, we got a bit of news and then confirmation of that news from the Lakers. So, Mike, what are we looking at? Kyle Kuzma has been signed to a contract extension. Would you guys like to hear Rob Palenka's quote? Yes, we would. Okay. It is especially gratifying for our Lakers franchise to draft, develop, and now sign one of our own to a contract extension. Kyle has shown tremendous growth over the last three years and played a crucial role on last season's championship team. Kyle has been a terrific member of the Lakers community, and we are all very excited about his continued future with us. Darius, do you want to guess uh, which verse or song or uh, literary work over the years that Palinka worked into this? I do not. Surprise me. Yeah. He he did not he did not work one in I he I think he saves that for the press, I think he saves that for the press conference uh, he did yeah he he did get to um what was the the Netflix show the the Queen's Gambit he did hit he did get that one uh-huh. on the last time we spoke to him so I expect that that will come in but yeah I, this I think this is really good news for the Lakers uh, Darius why don't you go ahead and weigh in um from from your first perspective on this 
as per the Lakers and how they normally work, the terms of this deal were not released. The terms are reportedly out there from various NBA newsbreakers as a three-year contract worth about $40 million. We'll see when that becomes official. Um, The third year of that deal would be a player option. Taking it all into stock, guys, like I'm super happy that this got done. We had talked about the potential of a Kuzma extension um, a few pods ago, and I don't think any of us were super optimistic. I think we were hopeful that it would get done. I was hopeful for a variety of reasons, the top of which was was probably just to not have it hanging over coups and, and hoping that he got a payday that was consummate with his contributions to the team. I think this is that for sure. I think it's a good deal for both sides, um, assuming that the terms that were that are being reported are accurate. I like the fact that if that third year is a player option, that that seems like a good middle ground for both sides. I think Kuz was very likely to get more than this as a restricted free agent if he were to go into next year's market. Not necessarily just because of Kuz's talent, but there's a lot of things, right? Like other teams love to pick over championship rosters and start to like poach guys. So that's one thing. Next year's free agent market is weaker than what was expected when Giannis re-upped, when AD chose to go for a four-year contract with a fifth-year player option, when LeBron basically extended. There were other... Drew Holiday is now expected to likely re-sign with Milwaukee. And so there's a lot of guys now that are off the market and a lot of teams that are going to have a lot of money to spend next offseason. So I think the Lakers did well um, and I think Kuz did well, right? Guaranteeing himself $40 million if he does not opt out. So Pete, from your perspective, how are you liking this? Or are you neutral or are you sort of like lukewarm? No, I'm, I'm happy about it for on a number of fronts. Um, I'm really happy for Kuz, right? We talked about him in the last pod and his capacity for growth in the areas in which he's grown. Prior to the season and after the dust settled on the roster, I was super excited about all of the talent. And then the second thing I thought about was like, oh, there's a lot of guys that are going to want want shots, a lot of guys in contract years. That would be Kuz, that would be Montrez Harold, Dennis Schroeder, a couple other guys too. Alex Crusoe is coming up for free agency. And as much as we want to look at it from our perspective of doing everything they can to help the Lakers win, and of course, they're going to do that, like, Kyle Kuzma has never gotten a, a big NBA contract. And so many of the things that we praised him for in the last pod are these doing the little things to win type of things. When a lot of times what will get you paid is putting up numbers and getting buckets and, and all of that. And I worried about the if he wasn't extended, which I didn't think he would be. This strikes me as a bit of a pleasant surprise. I didn't think that they'd get it in before the, the deadline. And uh, having that like, hanging over his head, as you said, of course that would seep in. Like even to the most altruistic team first person, of course that's going to occupy your thoughts on some level. And so not having that and going into it's And it's one thing too, for the team to be like, Oh yeah, you're an important part of the team. We're going to take care of you and all of that. And then if it gets to the point where when the time comes to actually do it, there's not that sort of outreach and that, that agreement, those words ring hollow, right? And and that 
con- contributes to it too. So uh, I'm I'm happy with it. I think the number is appropriate. I think that it can go in a number of different directions for both the Lakers and Kuz. Um, just I, I think really solid all around. Where are you at on that, Mike? Yeah, good for Kuz, first of all. And you mentioned it, Pete. I mean, he was the number 27 pick. So relative to the average NBA salary, he hadn't made much money. And I think that that slots, it's like 1.4 the first year, you know, 1.6, then up to 1.9. That's that's not uh, what guys that are usually in the league that long, um, because typically guys that are at the end of the first round or the second round, unless they get drafted by the Lakers, I guess, they don't last that long in the NBA. So it was nice for, just to see that from his perspective. And then just I'll take the approach of how this impacts this season, uh, which is probably the most important thing, right? As the Lakers try to repeat, this is a Kuzma was the one guy I think that had some reason for anxious, just anxiety uh, as any of us would be, if we didn't know what was coming the next year, if we didn't know if a team was going to make an offer, uh, what are the Lakers going to do? What do, how much do they like me? All of those kind of questions, which I think can impact somebody's play and then can impact the vibe of the team if you have somebody that isn't thrilled with their situation. And that's not to say he wasn't going to be a professional, which he certainly was in the preseason. I, I thought that he played really well, other than you know the first half of game four, he struggled some and, and wasn't really in a rhythm. But yeah, who cares about that? So big picture wise, I think it's good for them. I think he has a chance, as we've discussed on several previous pods, to step into some of those minutes that they need on the wing. Uh, from a bigger player that, and I think that his offense will go accordingly. The more that he's on the floor, the better rhythm he gets in. So uh, yeah, Darius to kick that back to you. If you have any final Kuzma points, uh, I just, I think that this is good all around uh, for all parties involved. So it definitely is. Another thing is too, we'd be remiss. I hate to, and I've gotten more and more like this as the years have passed, but this year I've especially felt like this is, I don't often like to talk about players within the context of being assets, like their contracts being assets and a contract being signed as now making a player more or less tradable and what this means for their future. Uh, Pete, is there a team that's good at that or, or a GM that's good at that? Mm-hmm. I can think of a couple. Yeah. Just throw a quick goof for you. Just throw a quick goof mm. for you. Mm. Mm. And, and so... No comment. Okay, back to Darius. The Celtics, Mike, the freaking dirty, stinky Celtics. Anyway, carry on. No, so that is a reality of the league, though. So I think that we'd be remiss if if we didn't speak on like the structural nature of what contracts mean and how and how this is another mid-dollar contract, right? And we talked about this in previous seasons, right, Pete, when it was the idea of, well, the Lakers actually don't have a lot of contracts on their books that are in this sort of like nine to 15 million range that often are the ballast that you use to facilitate bigger deals around the league. And Kuzma's contract, whether coincidence or not, slots into that sort of range. And so the idea of this being one of those contracts that could potentially be flipped in the future, I think we'd be remiss if we did not at least mention the fact that 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 is true. But my first point of analysis is not that, right? So it is that this is a good deal for a good rotation player who is, as Mike mentioned with Palinka's quote, 
a rotation player on a championship level team, like a team that just won the title and he played a big role in that. Was he as consistent as we would have wanted? No. Was he a valuable contributor? Yes. And, and and I will almost always go to that part first before I look at like the contract minutia stuff, right? But when you take a step back and you look at the entire picture, this is a win-win for everyone. It's it's a win for Kuz and great for him. It's also a win for the Lakers who have locked in a young player who they believe in at a reasonable number that if things do decide down the line that a change would be best for both sides, this is likely a deal that that could be moved in the future. And that's not lost on anyone, especially people like us. And the last note, as I kick this to Pete, I, I just wanted to underscore what you said earlier, Darius, about the way the market is next year. There's no question. And I've heard from some teams that really like Kuzma, right? They were thinking, man, is there like he, sh- he would be playing more on our team. We need somebody that can score like that. There are teams that we're going to throw some money at him. And then that would have made it a more difficult situation maybe for the Lakers to think if they would have had to go over that mark. So I, I like it from that context, too. Um, is that this and that's that, what that is. That's just Rob Palenka doing a good job and, with the agent and figuring out a good number. Mike, Jeremy Grant is a player just like that, right? A player who the Pistons clearly thought could grow into a bigger role, has shown two-way potential, right? And was a key contributor on the Western Conference finalist last season. Jeremy Grant just got $20 million a year from the Detroit Pistons. It, it only takes one, right? And from... The Lakers' perspective, and this is now hardcore asset talk, right? From the Lakers' perspective, there is no way to replace a player as who is a rotation player on your team at Kyle Kuzma's level without, like, they're not going to have cap space to sign a guy like that. And then you would probably need to use your full mid-level exception to get a player of his quality to commit to your team. And then if you use the full mid-level, you get hard capped. And so there are all of these domino effects that happen. And so this is why I'm saying too, that this is a win for the Lakers because they keep a player that they would not have been able to replace or potentially would have had to match a much larger salary than what they just doled out to Kuzma. And if they do not match, then the mechanisms to replace him are very limited and then have the ability to, to or the potential to constrict your team building in the future. And when you take all of that into account, how can you not like this deal from the Lakers perspective? Yeah, after LeBron and AD signed their extensions, I think the you shift toward keeping guys, right? Because like you said, the mechanisms to bring new talent in, you don't have cap space. And we've we've been in that like saving cap space. And even the summer of 2021 with LeBron and AD, the books were clear for 2021. And so it was always this maximizing cap space perspective. Well, we've committed to LeBron and AD for the long term. And now that cap space goes away in large part because of the size of their salaries. And so you don't ideally don't let a guy like Kuz just walk out the door. Hopefully we can resign AC, right? Uh, THT may put a be in an interesting position at the end of this year if things keep going the way that they do. We resigned KCP and that locking in guys, and this is, I go back to Polinka's quote on this in it being an organizational win is that the the 
scouting department and the player development, the South Bay Lakers have all been just integral parts of the Lakers organization for several years. And in some ways it's been thankless in that a lot of those guys got traded, right? So there wasn't that you develop them from, you know, you identify, Hey, this guy could be good. You get them at the, in the late first round, you get them in the, in the second round. Thomas Bryant, for example, is a, a great, great guy who's doing well in Washington. And uh, so having, there's a certain amount of reward in that for the element, Nick Mazzella, all those, you know, Joey and Jesse, all those guys that have really developed uh, some some talent and Kuz represents one of those guys. And so to be able to keep him, to see THT's growth, to see AC on that type of ascension really speaks to the the brilliance that that aspect of the organization has, has brought to the team. Well, Kuz was Palinka's first draft pick, basically, right? Mm. He was part of the deal that sent D'Angelo Russell and Mozgov to Brooklyn in exchange for Brooke Lopez and the pick that became Kyle Kuzma. And that really was one of the first moves that this iteration of the front office. Now, obviously, Magic Johnson's gone now, but, but Rob Palinka right, is, <laughs> is still here. So it doesn't. So from that perspective, it also does not surprise me that I know Palinka is a former agent, and I'm sure that he looks through at these situations with very clear eyes when doing his analysis on what's going to be right. But it would not surprise me if he's like, "Look, this is." This is one of our guys. And when he says ours, like it's because he was there. This was a guy that that he was in the room on and making a decision on in order to draft or not. So just all around good vibes for all of those guys, right? Just to move forward and to get this out, out of the way and now go out there and work, right? It, there's a season to play now. All right, cool. That was a nice uh, surprise on a Sunday afternoon to get the news of three years, $40 million. Congratulations to, to Kuz for all the hard work that he's put in and uh, pays off in, in a way. We're going to kick it to break. And then when we come back, this is the last pod before the first game of the regular season. So we're going to talk about some of the first steps to this journey that we're about to go on. The wait is finally over and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. You can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need. 
Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with our $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com backslash BlueWire. Offers valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. So Lakers go 4-0 in the preseason. THT looks awesome. Cruz plays well. Nobody suffers a major injury. Frank Vogel said that everybody participated in Sunday's practice. And we're set up well for the regular season. That said, with watching the tape and the melts and all of that, one of the things that really stood out to me, and I alluded to this on the last pod, is that there are some contrasting styles. And I think that it would be a mistake to think feel in some respects this team is building off of last year's team but in others they're very different in a lot of ways that's the incorporation of new talent that's very different right like mark gasol is a completely different type of five in good ways and bad than both javel mcgee and dwight howard Montrez harrell is a different type of five than than dwight right trez is more uh really explosive and speed based right and and kind of strength on the ground whereas Dwight is a little more vertical and, and more of a defender, a vertical defender, as is the case with JaVale. And so in watching the tape and all of that, there is some degree of everybody trying to feel themselves out and feel what their place is in this ecosystem. So, Mike, what do you see as the first steps of kind of introducing the new guys and like the first steps of this journey? We know we're going to be good. We know we've got a ton of talent, but we've also got a lot of work to do. Yeah, it's it's just it's LeBron and AD. It, that's that's the that's I could answer that as almost to any question about what the Lakers are going to do on either side of the court, from an off the court perspective, on what they're going to need to get across in practice. And Frank Vogel has a piece into there as well. But while everybody is getting up to speed, and that is most notably, I think Dennis Schroeder. That's Montrose Harrell, who you you saw them in the preseason, kind of looking to LeBron, you know, deferring, kind of okay, what, how much should I do stuff. But the good news is that, that that's where LeBron and AD um, can lead the charge. And so I, I think that starts in game one against the Clippers. And they're going to be able to, uh, to kind of ride that and also some of the lineups that they trust. Because what they might not do for sure is shoot 50% from three, which they did in the preseason, which was insane. Like everybody was hitting threes, including AD's absurd six for seven in the game four. But yeah, Darius, like I, I, maybe that's too easy of an answer. But I think while everything else is being figured out, Let's go to the guys that know exactly what they're doing and are still better than most than everybody else in the league. Yeah. And I, but to Pete's point, Mike, and I think that that's totally fair. And, and obviously we've talked about this a lot with LeBron and AD, you, you have a head start and, and their presence and their malleability as great players um, allow the team to do a bunch of different things. Um, to Pete's point though, it, it it's, I don't want to say I have concerns. I have questions, Pete. Um, I have questions about small little tweaks that seem very likely that are likely going to be necessitated based off of the different types of players that the Lakers now have um, who will be expected to play integral roles on this year's team. Right. And so I don't know if you caught Dwight Howard's highlights from the other night he went like seven for seven he had 14 points for philly and 
I was up late watching NBA TV and I saw Dwight Howard doing a bunch of Dwight Howard things from last season, right? Bunch of rim runs, dunks, lobs, like strong offensive rebounds, pressuring the ball at the point of attack a little bit in pick and roll stuff. And I thought to myself, oh, that looks familiar. That's last year's Lakers right there. Then I rewatched a little bit of Marcus Gasol tape. And I thought to myself, oh, yeah, that's a stark contrast between the way that the Lakers are going to have to play this season with their starting center versus what they did last year to with Dwight for sure. But even to a certain extent with JaVale, because JaVale, they really tried to do the same exact things with JaVale. It's just Dwight was better at them than than JaVale was, even if JaVale was was the starter. And so. And then, you know what else I watched? I watched some Steph Curry clips and I watched him go like hit six threes against Hassan Whiteside, who was playing drop coverage in the pick and roll. And I thought to myself, oh, yeah, not that Hassan Whiteside is applicable to Marcus Saul as a defensive player. He's not. But some of the I don't want to call them limitations, but the style aspect of dropping back further in the pick and roll and not pressuring as much at the point of attack. Those are things the Lakers are going to have to incorporate more and more into their daily scheme than they did with JaVale and Dwight. And so, again, I'm not necessarily concerned because to Mike's point, LeBron and AD activated on the backside can assist in making sure that you can cover up things better than you could with with other rosters but pete talk to me more about some of the stuff that you've been watching on tape because i don't necessarily know if i would call them a weakness and i don't want to put words in your mouth but they're differences and adjusting to those differences is going to take some time right yeah, I mean, we dominated. I, I refer to kind of verticality as your Air Force. If you've got an Army, Navy, Marines and guys who can leap high in the air and block shots or convert lobs, that's kind of your Air Force, that ability to control the game 11 feet and above the rim. And Mark doesn't bring that. Right. And that's something that that's what JaVale and Dwight do. And so watching the Phoenix games in particular was illuminating because I saw us lose more Air Force battles than we had last year, just due to the nature of the team. And that's okay. Again, there's all sorts of positives, Mark's passing and his shooting and all all of that. But it was just like, oh, this is different. And it plays into that idea of Vogel running drop coverages, which he has for the vast majority of... and, And from Vogel's perspective these things stack on top of each other. So starting with like, this is the basic defensive coverages that we run. Like, of course we're doing that in the precinct. Of course we're not switching and blitzing and doing the same thing that we saw in the playoffs just a couple of months back. Right. You've got to build up to that point. And, but we're going to see in that and kind of that same approach against everybody, we're going to see lobs converted at the rim against less athletic bigs that can't ex- execute no roller behind as well. We're going to see the Steph Curry's and Damian Lillard's pulling up and hitting threes if we're in that same type of coverage. Now, going into the regular season, especially, I expect Vogel to adjust more. It's not going to be preseason where in a lot of games, like so, for example, like game one, we were working on a lot of our stagger screens and whether it worked or not, it's like, we're going to, I would do this as a coach in, in summer league type stuff, right? Where it was like, we're going to work on these two things today. And if we suck at them, that's fine because we're trying to build toward the regular season anyway. So that is going to be a big part of Vogel's job. And that's one of the more interesting basketball storylines for me is that 
Vogel and the team, there's going to be a push and pull there that I foresee. I can see this team in some respects annoying Vogel in that they're they're freaking awesome on offense, man. And they can they can BS a game for half of it and just go on a flurry like they did in that third quarter against the Suns or the second quarter of the game before and make all sorts of defensive mistakes prior to that and still win the game, right? Vogel to me is a guy, like I, I love how Vogel is very principled basketball-wise. He believes in things and he believes in certain things on the defensive end that if you do this, it will lead to good results. And he has reason to feel that way. And so when you've got an extraordinarily, extraordinarily talented offensive roster and you miss your closeout, you rotate to the wrong place. LeBron was really bad on defense in that that last game, right? That's probably going to happen it, it, from a oh, – and I mean that from a, oh, he went to the wrong guy, he made the wrong decision type of thing. And so there's going to be a certain push and pull there that I'm curious to see how that develops because on one end, Bogle's right. On the other end, there's the quick turnaround. There's all, all there's all these reasons to not do that. So I'm curious to see how he balances that. I know I may be a little more on the maybe trying to find problems where there aren't any, Mike, but that's one of the kind of storylines is I think the basic nature of this team fits Vogel's ethos defensively less than last year's team. Am I making sense? I'm not trying to be negative. It just No, it's it's not it's not it's not even a negative, but you're so what you just spoke to that's a concern for every team in the league. So just period. The coaching staff is always going to want a little bit more. Like if a coaching staff had its way, every single player on the team would make every single defensive rotation. They would sprint <laughs> down transition every time, right? So that's that's not a challenge that's unique to any team. Um, I, I don't see it as being more of a challenge for Frank Vogel with this personnel on the Lakers than it is for the vast majority of teams this year. Um, I do think it's a little bit harder than last year, just given that they won. But, you know, they also have guys that are smart enough to come around on that. So I I, I think it's a fair concern, Pete. Um, but they have, as we've been discussing at length, they have so many other strengths around that to kind of compensate, even if the effort drops some in first halves, like we saw in the preseason. And then they go off on these big runs. But what I want to return to uh, is your military analogy. I mean, I'm trying to think of, okay, so who's the Navy? Then, you know, because so Navy, you got Navy SEALs is kind of specialists. You, you obviously it's hard to come up with a swimming thing, but I guess you could say the Navy then are those guys that like stay, is Marcus Saul more of a of, of a Navy SEAL type because he's staying low to the floor. Um, I'm I'm not a military expert by any means, Darius, but I do. I do like where we're going with that. And I will just stipulate that Anthony Davis remains the number one Air Force recruit. Now, there are a couple guys, you know, like, yeah, sure, Derek, Derek Jones Jr., he probably is in the Air Force, but he's not in the game enough, you know, to really, like, AD is still going to dunk more than almost everybody. And, like, Denver doesn't really have an Air Force, right, with Jokic playing center. Um, Towns is playing center for Minnesota. Embiid, he can dunk, but he's not. So, like, there are only so many of those guys, and we, we shouldn't forget that AD does remain on this roster, and his vertical presence on both ends uh, still makes the Lakers better than most teams there, even with losing JaVale and Dwight. Well, the interesting thing is, Mike, is LeBron is in that category too, just at a true. different position. So yeah, true. one of the things, and I wanted to get back to this idea about adjustments, Pete, and Vogel, and trying to find ways to carry over from last season and the identity and what they want to be 
defensively, which I think is disruptive, which I think is a team that that gets deflections. It may be so maybe they're going to swap out block shots more for deflections, right? Which I think they're capable of doing because they're very likely to be in the right position more often last season with their big men than maybe they were with like JaVale, right? Um, who was definitely more of a guy who was not always in the right position, but was long and pogo stick athletic and played with a certain motor as well to really try to chase and challenge shots that then you force misses and, and then it's the weak side that, that's cleaning up the glass, right? So the Lakers will be in some ways fundamentally different, but I think what Vogel's job is trying to figure out is how within some of these differences we can still be the same. Right. And the tape from the Suns games was, was was interesting because I also saw a lot of like, oh, hands in the passing lanes and strip downs like the Lakers were still forcing turnovers and they were still getting out in transition and running. It just wasn't always off of the highlight block shot that the Lakers got a ton of last season. So I want to kick it back to you for a second with a question like. Do you think that there's enough overlap in the skill sets that are carried over with this version of the roster versus last year for them to be as disruptive defensively in order to continue with their ethos offensively of like, you know, we want to ram the ball right down your damn throats? Absolutely. I just think we have to go about it in a different way, right? To go back to the the Air Force thing. Mike's absolutely right that Anthony Davis is still the best Air Force, you know, the best fighter jet in the game. And uh, we just don't have the best Air Force in the league 48 minutes a game like we did last year. Like we had an abundance of that particular thing. But whenever we need to, we can go to that. But it's not going to be that the whole game. And so to, that said, though, the Mark's a phenomenal defender in certain situations. I thought Phoenix was an example of the type of team that he might not be appropriate against in a playoff situation, right? But You've Schroeder's ability you talked about in the last pod or, or two pods ago, the, the ability to fight over screens and get skinny and be really aggressive on the perimeter there. Trez is rotating and taking charges. And I think we've seen some of the motor and hustle and kind of the defensive tools that he has to work with. He's not the same type of player, but he's valuable, right? My question is, is Vogel's history defensively is entirely built around those Air Force guys, right? When he's really been successful, he's had a rim protector. And again, we have Anthony Davis, but it's we, we aren't as stacked at that. And, and so is that something that, like, what are the adjustments that need to be made to play a different style? And I think we could be just as good. A point I want to make about Gasol specifically and defensively as compared to JaVale just given that, of course, he was starting the first and the third quarters. A lot of the, the plays that would end up in a JaVale block, right, or an AD block, and they would kick out in transition. What I saw when Mark was on the floor in the preseason was th those plays weren't even really developing where the other team was able to get a lane to the basket a lot of times because Gasol is a move ahead. And he just rotates a step like to the other side of the paint, and all of a sudden the, the wing looks up, and they, oh, well, that pass shut off. And then they have to kick back out. And that's a lot of the times where I saw some of those deflections that Darius was talking about, because it's like, oh, OK, well, that, that path is shut off. There's Gasol. You know, AD is lurking. And then Caruso or THC or whoever would come in and get their hand on a ball. 
coming out. So I do think that's that is one thing that could relate in that context. Um, but just as just as Mark being a step ahead, and it's different, um, and it's different from a block shot, but it is something I think that they can benefit from. One of the things that I would say, Pete, is that this season, I think even more than last season, sets up for AD to really be like the defensive player of the year this year, mm. because I think he's going to do a ton of the stuff that you saw JaVale and Dwight do last season, which is like challenge shots at the basket. But I also think that he's going to be a much even more integral backline helper and scrambler than what he was last year, which he already did at a high level last year. But I think that that's going to come to the forefront even more this season. There were several possessions. And I think this speaks to your point about Gasol maybe not necessarily being the best, like that Suns team wasn't necessarily the best matchup for him. I think that he hung just fine. So I'm not trying to say that he didn't play well. There were just some plays where it's like, oh, escape dribble by a capable mid-range shooting guard like Chris Paul or Devin Booker. And Gasol's not able to slide and move his feet with those guys the same way. But on some of those actions, those guys got away and it was AD who ended up lurking close by and challenging a shot. Or if Gasol did get there or the other rotation came, a pass was then kicked out and it was AD scrambling behind and getting a deflection or rotating and getting a block shot at the basket. And I think he's going to be put in more and more situations this year where he's going to cover up for more than what he had to cover up for last season. And I think those are things that are going to pop on tape and pop in the box score in different ways, right? Yeah, that's a great point. That's um, He's going to have more responsibility on, on that for sure because he is the one guy who can kind of do the things that he can do, especially above the rim. And then when combined with, man, some of the shots he was hitting against Phoenix, we, we think of superstar players as stagnant, but this dude is starting to ascend to different <laughs> levels that he should, I mean, from a personal individual standpoint, if it's something that matters to him, MVP and DPOY in the same year are totally attainable and only a couple of guys have ever done that. So I'm curious to see if he chooses to pursue that because he's he's certainly capable and the tape on him man, is just incredible. Uh, I, I want to shift focus to opening night. We got the Clippers coming in. Uh, it, it's supposed to be ring night. Is that right, Mike? It, it's ring night? ring night. Yes, sir. We got ring night and um a matchup, you know, between kind of a, I would say, humbled Clippers team, although we will we will see, and are feeling pretty good about themselves, but also retooled Lakers team. Mike, what are you looking for on opening night? It's such a it's such a good matchup to start the year with because it's intriguing at a couple levels. If you watch the playoffs and then if you watch the preseason, then you should think that this actually isn't even really that close. Like the Lakers should be clearly favored based on not only how basically how they've been playing for the last, you know, six odd months, plus the roster additions, plus the lack thereof for the Clippers. But what I'm going to be careful and I, and I know Frank Vogel, um, you know, will sort of say the same thing careful not to do is to underestimate what the Clippers are going to do once the actual regular season starts. And now it's, it's going to be on wax, whatever they do. So I, I think that 
the, the I think the matchups favor the Lakers. I think the continuity uh, favors them. I think the Clippers didn't address their problems, which is a chemistry, b having that creative ball handler to sort of tie the team together. So I think all of that stuff still exists. But they also they should right they should be the team that comes out and just plays the most aggressive, the most desperate game possible. I don't know if they will, and but like if they do, they can definitely beat the Lakers. But for the course of a season, I, I definitely see the Lakers as the clear better team. I'm just not going to dismiss the possibility that the Clippers uh, are the ones that should have their backs against the wall and should ha- want to come out and prove something in the opener. And the Lakers are definitely going to have to match that intensity, Darius. Because now, if they don't do it, that's even more of a of a uh, you know sort of an insult on to them. But I feel like they should, and therefore the Lakers have to be ready for it. The Clippers, so I did not watch any other preseason games from the Clippers besides the two games that they played against the Lakers. I did not think the Clippers looked particularly sharp, um, but it's also the preseason. But it, it was about the same, Darius, in their other in their other game. It was yeah, about the same. Yeah, and, and so I wonder if this was just a case of preseasonitis to a certain extent, right? Like they're sort of going through the motions a little bit, working their way up. Um, I definitely saw some stretches from PG and Kawhi where they looked more like themselves. And then I saw stretches where they clearly looked to just be going through the motions a little bit. That's not something I would have expected from them based off of how their season ended last year. You guys know, and anyone who listens to the pod knows or has followed my writing, I'm, I'm big on habits. And It's one of the reasons why I thought the Lakers were such a good team last season is they really established those habits early, even going back to the preseason as as to what they wanted to be during the regular season. And if the Clippers think that they're going to be able to just turn it on, I don't think that bodes well from a mentality standpoint, but I could be biased on that front. In terms of what I'm looking forward to, though, Pete. Hold on, hold on. Let me stay on that point for one second, though. Because that that sort of is the the question that I'm looking to have answered, right? Like they're yes. How how do they start the preseason like that? Even if it's the preseason after what happened in the postseason, and I to me the answer is Kawhi. That's like Kawhi just sort of plays like that, and the rest of the team finds it hard to then come in and play differently and almost show him up. But I I just answered my own question. Let me kick that back to you guys. But no, yeah, that, no. that's that's what my concern would be. But you're right. And this is a superstar thing. This is a superstar responsibility that goes beyond operating in an organization like Kawhi's had the benefit of playing in San Antonio, playing in Toronto, where who they were, their culture was established. And they are two organizations at the very top of the league in terms of having an established identity. The Clippers are not that and they weren't that last year. And so I always think, remember, I don't remember if it was 2009 or 2010, but Bynum got hurt. I think it was on the play where you, uh, I, I know it was on the play where I think Kobe ran into him, right? And they went to New York the next day. And that's the famous day where, you know, Mike D'Antoni tells the story when he was the coach of the Knicks of he went to say hi to Kobe. Kobe was stone faced and MDA was like, oh shit, right? And Kobe gives him 61, right? Because there were moments throughout the regular season where Yes, it's just one game in the standings, but momentum matters so much in sports and especially basketball. And the Clippers can really use some positive momentum, some positive mojo. If they lose this game to us, it'll be over a calendar year since the last time they beat us. We gave them that that Christmas game last year still pisses me off, but it's like 
they could really use because because of what happened last year, like you were saying, Mike, because of all that, like if anybody's got to like we won the freaking championship and we're coming into the preseason like, all right, got to build good habits, got to, you know, make sure that we're incorporating the new pieces in there. But we're we're ready to go. Like I, I and it's a it's an energy, not just from us on this pod. It's like from the organization that, you know, I got people texting me like, hey, you ready for open? Like everyone's like locked in, ready to go. Let's kick some ass. And You've got to have that. And that's a superstar responsibility to if you're to make a statement. And if it's Kawhi Leonard, right, you got to go out there and drop 40. And if the Lakers are, oh, we got our rings. We're feeling good about ourselves. You got to take it to the Lakers if you're in that position and make a statement. And not just to the Lakers, but to everybody else. And we're not fucking around. We're, we're here to work. We're here to win. We're here to get better. And this whole like, oh, it's just the preseason, preseason-itis and all of that. All that ship sailed along with how they got knocked out in the playoffs last year. So to me, this is a big game for the Clippers and it's a big game for the Lakers too, right? I, I do view it that way, but I do think it's more important to the Clippers than it is to the Lakers. I think those are great points. I really wish I had something insightful to say right here, but but I do not. The matchup stuff is still very interesting to me. Um, but look, man, just like you guys said, go out there and prove it. Right. And I think that that's true for both sides. But we'd be we'd be lying if we didn't say, like, look, this is your chance to punch the world champions right in the mouth on the night that they're going to raise a banner and get their rings. You would hope that they're going to come out and try that. Right, Mike? First of all, there is a hmm, at least five point handicap by having to play on ring night, because when you see those diamonds, man, and they're yours and you like you put that thing on and then you have to go put it in the locker room it just it just is human nature to let off a, a step and to feel a little bit good about yourself it just it just happens so that is one and two the clippers for all for whatever happened in their preseason for whatever happened in their offseason for whatever happened or, or lacked or didn't happen in free agency if they come out and they do smack the lakers then all of a sudden they're feeling great about themselves and they're going to carry a little bit more swagger into the rest of their schedule. So to Pete's point about why it's important for the Lakers as well, I do think that it's a, it, the Lakers want to keep the narrative going as is right now. And to do that, it would require them to play better and to beat the Clippers. And I suppose the one little X factor that I like uh, it, that goes in the Lakers' favor here is that I know there's at least one guy in the roster who's not going to be taking this game lightly. And that's Trez. That's like when Montrez Harold comes into the game, there is not going to be a lack of energy. And I think that can pick the rest. Let's say that the starters come out uh, and they and they throw they have a dud like they did in Phoenix both times. Bring Trez in, get that energy flowing. And then the second time that LeBron or the next time that LeBron may get under the floor, maybe you're off and rolling from there. So I, I do think that that could be a mitigating factor. But let's just. To emphasize one one last time, let's not forget that this win could be some really good medicine for the Clippers if they can find a way to get it. Great point too, Mike, about sort of wanting the Lakers to sort of keep their big brother status, right? Like um, they won the last two regular season matchups. Now, one of those was in the bubble, but one of them was in that big weekend where the Lakers beat the Clippers and the Bucks and sort of showed their quality, I think nationally, right? I think locally, if you probably check the previous group texts that were in our chat you probably would have seen us already talking like the lakers are looking good right but 
it was that stretch. Do, do, you mean, do you mean because they won 17 straight Western Conference road game before those two? I'm like, the, well, the Lakers, I don't know if they have any quality wins. I'm like, they haven't lost since the season opener in another team's building. That includes Utah, Portland, Dallas, San Antonio, Phoenix, Sacramento, like on OKC, Sacramento, on and on down the list. All right, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. So these are great. <laughs> the these are great points. Pete, I have a question for you. It's rotation based. The Lakers did not play with their full roster the entire preseason, and we and obviously they got the chance to play. Sort of, I don't want to say. They went to less talented lineups down the stretch of almost every single game in order to close those those games out. So I don't think we got a true dress rehearsal during the entire preseason for a full game. We might have seen it for a half or three quarters, but not for a full game. How do you envision the rotation going do you think that the starting lineup is going to be like, we didn't even see a game where every potential starter was available. Right. So I still don't have a good sense. If like, is KCP going to start? Is it going to be Kyle Kuzma? Is it going to be Wes Matthews? It's looking less and less likely that it's Matthews based off the fact that he didn't start at all, even during the stretch where KCP was out. And then after you answer the starter question, how do you envision Vogel managing his rotation? Yeah, so I think the starters, my guess would be Schroeder, KCP, LeBron, AD, and Mark. And then, uh, but we didn't see that, like you said, but I, I, that's that's my guess. Really curious to see how Schroeder gets incorporated into that because I thought that while defensively he was fantastic, he would go several minutes without doing much on the offensive end nothing bad right it's just that you've got one guy initiating offense at the top of the key in mark you've got lebron and ad in the post on their clear outs where you got four other dudes on the other side and in that environment shooter probably eats third in terms of a running the offense through them i'm not saying even the third option but just the third guy that has the ball in their hands to to run things and so what does that look like? I'm skeptical that Schroeder will work in the starting lineup, but I think that that's something that plays into the bigger rotation question that you asked. Of. I think Vogel would be wise to experiment. I think things like incorporating THT, even if the there are short-term uh, you know, turnovers and things like that, that that hurt you in the short term, he's got... There's so much more variety he's got. If he's a chef, he has a lot more ingredients to choose from than he did before. And so now it's a matter of trying to make some meals and seeing what you can do with those ingredients. And when combined with the quick turnaround time, I think that we're going to see a team that's going 11 or 12 deep early on into the season and trying different combinations. And whether that's five-man lineups, but also the two- and three-man groupings that you always talk about, Darius, right? And seeing who works with who and for what reason and all of that. So I see a lot of, I, I don't think that we'll have our rotation with the exception of some cornerstones kind of locked in for when they're coming out and going in. I think Vogel would actually be wise to experiment with that a bit. What, what do you see on that front, Mike? Yeah, I think it's going to be a legit 11 man rotation for these first couple of weeks. And then of course that depends if somebody has a tweak, we've already seen a few different things happen, right? Caruso had the hip, KCB had the hip, uh, and then Schroeder had the ankle and, but it's still the same 11 guys, all of whom could start on this team and on most NBA teams. Uh, like I think all of those guys will play and here's why they had such a short preseason. Most of the players didn't play in more than two or three games. 
they training camp was short in general. So this is the perfect time for Vogel to show that versatility and flexibility. Um, I agree with Pete starters. I do think you'll, you'll see that that was the group that they went to with the most. That's the group that they've been practicing with the most. And then off the bench, um, you know, that's where you have that. So here, so here are the other six, right? So it's Markeith Morris, it's Kuz, it's Caruso, um, it's THT, it's uh, Harrell, and then Wes Matthews, right? And all of those guys, I think, will play. And so I would say it's less likely that we're not going to see LeBron and AD play 40 minutes. We're just not. I think it'd be it'd be smarter to keep them closer to 30. Although AD said he felt great, didn't look tired at all, and was still drilling like step back, sidestep threes in the third. So I think you could extend him a little bit if you needed to, but play the whole group, see what clicks. And as I, I can't remember which pod we talked more about the rotation, but you can always, if you're having trouble with guys getting in sync and whatever, you can always go back to this lineup. Go LeBron, AD, Caruso, Kuz, and KCP. Um, or Keith. Just the guys that you know have played together. Um, if that In crunch time, I would love to see that group. Unless, you know, Shooter or Harrell or somebody is really going. But you can always go back to that one. And those guys know exactly how to play together. They know exactly how to play against the Clippers. And you can get some found money there. Yeah, Pete, to speak to your point from earlier, I definitely and I think this coincides with what Mike was saying about getting LeBron closer to 30 to 32 minutes rather than 34 or 35 minutes a night is I expect Braun to go out about halfway through the first quarter, just like he has been. Um, and I expect Schroeder to go longer into that first period, likely to create offensive opportunities with him and Harrell when LeBron goes out. I expect Gasol to go out and then I expect Harold to come in. And then I expect, I don't know who, maybe it'll be Matthews. Maybe it'll be Caruso. Maybe it'll be THT and we'll all be a little bit surprised or maybe it'll be Kuzma. Right. But I expect to see some, some changes there where you're likely to then see a foundational trio of Schroeder, Harold and AD when LeBron goes out and then when you wrap around the quarter, that's when you're likely to see LeBron come back in. And then I think Pete, that's where you're likely to see more experimentation and more flexibility, right? Maybe Harold stays in, maybe Gasol comes back in with LeBron. Maybe they go small and it's Keefe and Kuz, right? It, but, and THT out there with Matthews and, and it's sort of just like, Hey, this is like a team of all, six, five and over guys, or it's, you know, LeBron, Caruso, Wes, Kuz, and Morris. To me, that's totally viable as a start the second quarter unit, right? The rotation is going to be, just like you said, a time for experimentation. It's going to be a time to try to figure out what groupings work, what guys can be foundational within a particular unit to carry you over a stretch the good thing is, is I thought Vogel did a great job with this last season. So I'm giving him like all the benefit of the doubt that I possibly can be because like, I just think that this is an area where last year I thought he excelled. And I think that his job is harder this year in that regard, because things are more fluid with more rotation quality players. But again, good problems. Yeah, 100%. To me, the beginning of the second quarter, that's THT time. I want my, give me a couple minutes of THT on the ball. And that's, that's the place to get that development in. But yeah, it can go so many different directions. And that's one of the things that I'm really, really fascinated to see the direction that Vogel goes in. Um, 
really excited about this season, really excited about the different ways that this can go. Darius, you got one last... Uh, no, just to speak to that point, put THT in there with LeBron and Caruso. Mm-hmm. And instead of it being Caruso who is the second ball handler, he can be the third ball handler and make THT the second ball handler next to LeBron. And he can take some of those shrewder possessions, right? Where you're letting him bring, bring the ball up and run LeBron in more off ball actions or put him in the post, but let, let THT cook with some on ball screen and rolls. Hell let LeBron go screen for a THT and, and see what happens or put him in pick and pops with like a Morris or a Kuzma, right? Like, so I'm with you. But I'd like to see LeBron out there with him too, a little bit, because you know LeBron sure. needs, well, that's, needs those. I love that too, because it's kind of a security blanket for THT, right? He's not alone, but he can run those possessions. I like in the last game, Vogel got more minutes with THT and Harrell. And I suspect that that will be a good combination because THT is pretty good at throwing that pocket pass, certainly better than making that than the skip read. But yeah, like LeBron, THT, uh, Kuz, Caruso, and and Harrell, that's a that's a hell of a second unit, man. And and yeah, this can go in all sorts of different directions. I'm I'm so excited about the, it. The one other point I want to make about the opener is I I would prefer if the Clippers just in this matchup, if the Clippers started Zubats, I think that would be better for the Lakers because a you know that's that's just Marcus Saul then is matched up with Zoo and that gets Zoo off of Harrell. And the one thing I think that can be kind of a deterrent to Harrell is if you have a really good rim protector who's just going to stay home in that drop coverage and be like, okay, go ahead, Trez, take that 17 footer, you know, which he will take some, but that's not the best shot the Lakers are going to get. So it does seem though that they're going to start Serge Ibaka. And if that's the case, what I want is AD and LeBron going to the rim again, uh, like they did. And yeah. sure, Serge can he can block a shot here and there, but he's not going to, you know, he's not the kind of body like Zubots that's going to deter the drive in the first place. And so I, that's, that's one little shift I think that is interesting. And if you could find a way to get Harrell in more matchups with Ibaka, um, as opposed to, uh, as opposed to, because he can kind of bump Ibaka on offensive rebounds, stuff like that. He's not going to do that as much with Zoo. And so that's just one little note there that I think will be interesting in that matchup. No, I think you're you're spot on. One thing that we did uh, with Ibaka starting that I thought worked really well was running the offense through Mark at the top of the key and setting those wide pin down screens and having guys curl to the basket. And you don't have that type of same type of rim protection. We really spread them out well. And we saw that the delay action and all of that with Mark at the top of the key wasn't as effective versus Phoenix. So it's interesting to see kind of this is going to work against this team, but something else is going to work against that team. And Vogel spoke the other night to figuring teams out and how last season's team had the ability to figure teams out and yeah did you hear Vogel's shout out to the film room I asked him something I I don't remember what it was and he he basically I I was I think I said what have you guys noticed off of the film from the first three games and he's like oh we we've been attacking the film room he he said something like that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like <they've> been, <laughs> I sh- in fact, I should have listened to it and clipped it so we could put it into the into the end of the show or something. But they, he's like, it's it's all, he said it and he got all excited, right? And like even uh-huh. LeBron and some you know some of the other guys on the team, this team they genuinely do like being in that film because there's so much basketball IQ in there that it's become cool as opposed to on other teams. I think it's like, oh man, got to go listen to this coach, you know make make dull point after dull point in the film room they're like "Ooh, when can we go to the film room to break down the preseason action 
Awesome. Did you hear McKinney's quote where apparently he had said that he already sees that the environment with this team in terms of their film work is different from different teams that he's been on, where it's much more collaborative and it's much more of everyone talks and anyone can talk and take the lead within a certain part of the discussion. And it's just not the coach up there going through film, which I think, again, speaks to the culture of this roster but also the IQ and the trust that the coaches have in the players to be able to point things out in a smart way that they can then incorporate into game plans, which again, is I think a masterstroke from a coach like, like Vogel, when he understands that one of the most important parts of his job is building consensus, right? So what's one of the best ways to build consensus is when you're incorporating the ideas of the guys who have to go out there and actually execute on the floor. So it's just another little wrinkle that I think adds to why this team can be special. That's, that's what the film room does, you guys. So congrats to Coos. <laughs> congrats to Coos. Uh, opening night on Tuesday. Really looking forward to it. Love this team. Can't wait to see what they are. Until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block. An NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the score. move. Two, one, miss it. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.